Wise men ask, what <laughs> pod should we listen to? So we record the Bill Bradley Collective <laughs> for you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Every every week, every week you come in. That was clapping out. But every every week you come in saying, "I'm going to do something for the opening." And my imagination goes, "All right." And I get ready for you to do something stupid. And then you just like, "I'm like, right, I'm going I'm to laugh. It's going to be stupid." And then you do something so much stupider than I could ever well, imagine. I, I went to Amato's toy store to buy a child's guitar, but I really wanted one that you just crank up and it went. But but it, they had it and it was like 18 bucks. And I feel like. Well, money's a little tight this week. Do I buy eighteen? Do I spend eighteen dollars for a joke? And I decided not to. But the guitar will make its appearance at it's, some point. It's a business loss on your t- on your on your W two. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna do that in seventy thousand yeah. haircuts, and I'll pay seven hundred fifty dollars in taxes next year. So, welcome to the Bill Bradley Collective, the intersection of sports, politics, and off key singing. We are in the backyard of. Zach's home and Laura's home in beautiful New London, Connecticut, which is the city on the hill of America, except we're at sea level. We will tell you it's a little windy out here, which is why most podcasts wuss out and do not record outside, but we are socially responsible. And uh, so you might hear the wind a couple of times, but you know what? If the wind is too much, you know. I don't know how many shut-ins listen to us, but we love you, and we apologize for the sound of the wind. Most shut-ins that listen to this podcast are probably on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That's an excellent point. How you doing, Zach? I'm doing all right. I'm doing. I'm just surviving after this Tuesday. How you doing? Pretty well. How? how, uh, What will you be ranting about today? Uh, I will be ranting about loss, legacy, and ladies. Yeah, except for legacy, that's like a common thing. Andrew, how you doing, my brother? I'm doing what a what a week, yes. what a day, Christ. Do, do you realize that it was eight days ago that they announced the the, uh, the replacement for Ruth Bader Ginsburg? That seems like 1988. For me, Spiro was born. My favorite part is Andrew is is sitting here riding high off a two zero Yankee two two Yankee win in the playoffs. And he just he looks like they're down they're down seven games. I'm still and, fucking and miserable. You know what? Part of that is uh, you'll find out in the uh, in the main topic about just the haggard the the, the sacrifice that this man has made. Yeah, yeah see, going above and beyond, <laughs> going above and beyond. Yeah. So, what will you be ranting about? I'm going to rant about the NFL uh, facing their first real COVID related crisis. But before, and I'm going to do it now. Bob Gibson. I did it for Tom Seaver. I'm going to do it for Bob Gibson. Passed away from pancreatic cancer at the age of 79 this week. Um, this is a man, and as you watch these, as I watch these Yankee games, as I watch baseball postseason games, and you see these aces, these workhorses work into the fifth and the sixth and the seventh inning and get pulled for a whole uh, you know, stable of hard-throwing relievers. Bob Gibson's throwing complete game shutouts in the 60s you know, several times a year in World Series games. This is a man pitching in the Midwest in St. Louis, in the in the crucible and the fire of the civil rights movement, one of the greatest of all time. I just Bob Gibson deserves this time. Uh, rest in power. I, if you're sitting at home, pour one out for one of the goats. If you're driving in a car listening to this, crack the beer, pull off to the side of the road, and pour one out for one of the goats. Goddamn right. I, I remember I got to see Bill, Bob Gibson right at the very end of his career. He was still nasty as hell. If he thought you were too close to the plate, you were going down. Also. The greatest major league baseball player to also also play for the Harlem Globetrotters, uh, which he hated because it wasn't competitive enough. This guy's competitiveness makes Michael Jordan seem passive, like he was so competitive. <laughs> I will be talking about Adam Gase, Donald Trump, Ivanka Trump, and the idea of the warrior mentality defeating illness and injury. But mostly, I just wanted to give... Zach and Andrew a chance to talk shit on Adam Gase, who's maybe the worst coach of all time. And we will be back right after this with the Bill Bradley Collective. Coming to you from the intersection of sports and politics, we are the Bill Bradley Collective. Here are your hosts, 
Ed, Zach, and Andrew. So for this week, uh, I'm going to be starting off the rants, and my topic is a little more somber than normal. Um, it, you know, it's about 2020, it's about COVID, it's about loss, it's about legacy, and it's about the things that we take for granted that may not be there tomorrow. And of course, I'm talking about the court decision in Ireland uh, that ruled that Subway bread uh, is not bread. They said that it has 10% sugar, so it is uh, not actually, uh, by any legal standard, uh, bread. Uh, why is this heart- disheartening? And, and, you know, in a year when, when 2020 has taken so much from us, uh, it, it took the only legacy that the Levy name really has. Uh, we are but a humble folk. And uh, one of that legacy is that back when Subway was a, a fledgling company out of Milford, Connecticut, with, with only a few stores here and there, uh, in the beginning, they would sell prepackaged frozen bread to people, and, and the bread would come already made. And then uh, they decided that one day at this, this small store in Shelton, uh, at midnight, they were going to begin baking their own bread, and that they were going to change the way they do things. And uh, the young uh, whippersnapper uh, who was in charge of baking the bread is none other than uh, co-host of the podcast, Ed Levy. This is all we have to our name, really. Like, you know, when Aristotle and and Socrates were telling stories around the fires in Greek times, like this is what they talked about. This was what we had, and and now in 2020 in COVID, uh, uh, in the year when we've lost so much, uh, we can't even have we can't even have legacies anymore based in just the most benign incidents of of all time. So it is absolutely true that I was the first person to bake bread at Subway. Uh, Fred DeLuca, who owned the place, and Bill, whose last name I can't remember, who owned the place. Uh, um, Bill, Bill Subway. Bill Subway, who was the owner of that particular franchise. And I got in early in the morning. It wasn't quite midnight, but it was early. And back then, Subway closed at 2, so we, we had to try making the bread. We used to have to just order it from bakery. Sometimes they'd run out. We'd run out of bread. It, it all kind of sucked. It wasn't good bread. Um, and I think the reason they kept adding sugar to make it tastier was because they realized that Jared, the subway guy, couldn't pursue small children when he was fat. But by reducing weight, he would catch them. And so they just added sugar to keep everyone fat and happy and not attacking small children. So that was good. The other subway legacy I have is I was offered the job to be the head of training for Subway. And they said they would match whatever I made as a first-year teacher. And I got the job at Bullard Havens right after interviewing and decided to go to Bullard Havens. That job currently pays $4.5 million a year. But I don't have the shame of knowing I'm trying to pass off non-bread as bread. I have a soft spot for Subway um, in more ways than one. I mean, I think back to... My college years, and the only at, at during my tenure, besides the convenience store, the only option like twenty four hour wise for like fast food for food was the, was the subway that was across from the Thirsty Dog Bar in front of Husky's Bar, and um, I've just I can't tell you the number of footlongs, generally an Italian BMT, occasionally meatball, um, that I would just you know devour in like six bites, probably like. <laughs> you know, 15 shoes in total that I would just inhale. And this was a weekly thing. And yeah, man, Subway. <sighs> they, they, hey. it, 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 I mean, this, <laughs> you know, we are a Subway fan. I worked at Subway as a teen. It's why I don't eat Subway that much now because I ate it six days a week. Yeah. Um, I, I watched the Hurricane Katrina storm happen. Uh, the flooding happen uh, sitting in the back of the Subway where my boss remarked at all this human suffering. The only thing she could remark is, oh, how big are those street signs? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I've always kind of kept that with me. And, and it's just, you know, in 2020, we don't even get the little things like our legacy of bread making anymore. <laughs> like, and, I, and I don't even know what to call it, you know, or what they're going to call it. Like, what kind of sugary pasta thing do you want uh, to serve it on? I mean, it's, yeah, it's, um, and by the way, the real victim here is poor Michael Phelps. Because, yeah. you know, here he is, yeah. you know, 
trying to stay in shape so he could swim one more time and he discovers god it's you know it's it's a, it's full of sugar no wonder why i can't swim as fast as i used to didn't michael Just michael strahan also have a th- or was it was it justin tuck who who claimed he when the giants were good and like he said that his diet in the offseason was actually like it was just Subway subs. Like, like yeah. I'm pretty, if we looked that up, I'm sure there is something to that. They, they used, to be, they used to be open until 2 in the morning, 3 on the weekends. Yeah. I would work a couple days a week. Uh, it's actually, there's like 45 stores in the country. And, and I would work from 5 in the afternoon till 2 or 3 at night because that way I could get in like 40 hours in like 4 or 5 days. And... Uh, while I was going to school because I was dating Zach's mom and she had two kids and we had to help out. And you'd get a free sub afterwards. <laughs> of course, it's like two in the morning and I would go across the street when there was no one there and I'd buy a beer and I would eat my sub and have a beer and I would put a quarter into Ms. Pac-Man, which was, a, which was the game. And I got so I could play for like an hour and a half on a quarter. It was the only video game I was ever actually good at and uh, because there was only so many patterns. And so, you know... All of that has been sullied by the fact that there was more sugar than I thought. And and, and as a lady, you know, this is our home, this is our fatherland. It's where our, it's where our descendants come from. They screwed us. It, 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 it's where an entirely different life existed for me, where I could be making four point five million dollars a year, training people to make subs. You know, taking people to make shitty subs on sugary bread, and I and could I could have made a fortune, and and this would be a much more Republican leaning podcast. Yeah, I could have fail sunned my way into Congress <laughs> just by doing nothing but other than having a dad have money. Like, did, you could be Tucker Carlson yeah, and, right. instead of inheriting the Swanson money, you'd inherit the Subway money, and you could have the white nationalist power hour. Uh, did you conceive of a t- of the whatever they fucking put on the Italian urban cheese bread? Because that is that's no, no, with the, that, chef's kiss. All that came later. Oh, okay. uh, at right. the time, the first the first loaf didn't rise, so we had to do another loaf. We were starting to panic. Then it ra- it rose. People were very happy because when you ordered it from the bakery, like you served it the next day if you had extra loaves, so everything was kind of quasi stale, and it seemed all fresh and exciting. You used to have to, you know, we used to cut the the the, the meat itself, and yeah, it was it was quite the job, quite you, the job. Plus, you had the smell. It smelled great. Yeah. Oh, oh! I smelled like Subway. Like if it was like it was like a cologne, and yeah, you know, it, it, it helped me pick up fat chicks. <laughs> That's yeah. basically what I smell like, honestly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If people don't know what the Subway smell is, like it's it's a foot. You smell like a foot. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to talk about the idea that overcoming illness and injury requires a warrior mentality, and that's it. And I will admit, I have been very guilty of this in my life. Zach uh, received not only some tongue lashings for staying down in, in, in Aki, but I made him roll down the hill when he was four years old and fell off the jungle gym and was crying about his arm. I thought it would help him, but he had broken his arm, so it didn't. I had him play a basketball game. Um, not realizing he had torn his ACL the day before, he kept going down in a pile to be fair, it was a playoff game, and all the offense ran through Zach so that we had no offense without him. Um, I think we only scored eight points that game, and I think you had all eight. Yeah, it was it was one. Of, <laughs> it was my Willis Reed moment. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I'm not like that anymore because we grow and develop not only personally as a society, unless you're Adam fucking Gase. Now, I am not the Jets fan on this podcast, uh, and I feel bad talking about Adam Gase because. There's enough vitriol, I'm sure, among uh, Andrew and Zach for, for 12 podcasts. But he puts Makai Becton in the game knowing he's injured. He knows he's injured. This is a, a, a building block for their future. He has been the best player on the Jets, I think, by magnitudes this year. And... I mean, he's a, he's a, he's an offensive lineman, and they you know the team's always stuck passing the ball all the time because they're always behind. Because they're always <laughs> behind, but he's a building block. He's been really good, and he's clearly injured his shoulder. And Gase puts him in because you know I guess the mentality is everyone should be Adam Gase, who famously, when his wife had a baby, left before the umbilical cord was cut because he had a team meeting he had to go to. 
on a team that had won like four games at the time. Um, and I thought about it, especially now, because we saw it in the debate, which we'll talk about later. We've seen it in Trump. And we've seen the most loathsome woman who's not Kelly Leffler in America, Ivanka Trump, say to tweet, my father will beat this. He's a warrior. As though somehow illness and injury, the failure to overcome illness and injury is a mark of character as opposed to a mark of the fact that you're ill or injured. Um, This kind of toxic masculinity which spreads like wildfire from the NFL through the Trump administration. I'm just so done with it. It's doing so much damage. And Adam Gase, who should be fired for that reason, even if he was a good coach, but is the worst coach maybe other than Hugh Jackman? Hugh, um, jo- what's his No, he's the worst Hugh coach. Jackson. They're, they're, yeah, Hugh Jackson? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. I went to say Jackman, but you know Hugh Jackman was a Wolverine and he was quite good in it. Um, but Hugh Jackson... And um, wait, that's the Hugh Jackman movie you're going with. I'm going with Wolverine because what about I, Le, Le Miz? Well, because, yeah. well, because if I if I said you know the great entertainer or something, you guys are going to give me shit after the podcast is over. So I just said, you know, Wolverine. I've never seen Wolverine, but um, because it's it's a child's movie. But anyway, um, I'm just so tired of this. And and Gay should have been fired for that, but nope. It he just continues to go go around and spread his bullshit philosophy and his ineffective coaching and our whole country is a symbol of this right now i i had actually texted zach this last night i had said that like the cherry on top in like this colossal failure of a jet season is the fact that gase besides being an incompetent head coach is also just just a objectively horrific person likely um it's all about him it's all about his future i look at him putting becton in where the whoever started was got hurt and he puts a clearly injured Becton in. He shouldn't have been active, period. Um, it's because there's and this is where, you know, you've got he's a Joe Douglas player, and I think Gase knows he's done, but Douglas is gonna pick the next head coach when they eventually fire Gase, whether it should be Monday, it'll probably not come until January. Putting Becton in in that spot, it helps it's I guess it's it's best for him in that narrowest, shortest, most selfish term. Um, of just basically sacrificing this, and like you said, this top pick where you have all of this capital, you have all of this, you know, first round picks in the NFL are like, like you said, Becton is a huge building block, especially for teams as bad as the Jets. That Like these first round picks need to be great. They need to have long careers. And he just completely just fucking sacrifices Becton for his own immediate self-interest. Um, no regard for the Jets' future because he knows he's toast. He knows he's a just a horrific coach who will likely never be a head coach. I will say, I can say this. I do not see Adam Gase ever getting a job, a head coaching job in the NFL again. I would which, take- might be a, which might be a hot take, considering all of the other failures that get, all failure retreads that get rehired. I think Gase as a head coach is toast. I would take that bet. And yeah. I have, I have Lieberman-esque levels of hatred for Adam Gase. Like, the way I feel about Matt Lieberman and Joe Lieberman, I feel... 10 times for that about Adam Gase, except it's hard to be mad at a guy that's just so fucking pathetic. Like, just this guy that wants to be a tough guy and then just, you know, seems to orgasm over smelling salts on the sidelines. You know, and I'd say, like, he's a great example of the Peter Principle, which is when, you know, oh, you're good at this job, so therefore you'll be good at the next job, and eventually it's everyone moving up until they're not good at the job anymore, except he's never been good at a job. No. So I just, you know... He and, was, and, and 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 with with the vodka, like say saying Trump's a warrior, and, and my dad will get through. Is like, if okay, you know, well, what is she saying? Is that the people who have died aren't tough enough? In that too, if her dad dies, which I hope he doesn't, I want him out of office. I don't want him dead. No, I I, I would it, I, I yeah I, I absolutely agree with you. I want to see him go to jail. Yeah, yeah, no, no, you don't you don't get to take the easy. You don't get to go yet. <laughs> you know, and, and like. To, to have that, it's like, okay, well, then what happens if your dad dies? Is he not a warrior then? No, of course not. But that's what she's saying. And that's what these people believe is like, oh, you're simply not tough enough. And these are the softest people in the world. Like mm. Donald, you know, D- Donald Trump takes off his white lily glove to slap people when they offend him. Like an old fancy boy from the 18th century in England. Both Trump and, and Gase have the exact same inexplicable issue. They're arrogant without any accomplishment that gives him a right to be arrogant. Gase's reputation was built on the fact 
He was Peyton Manning's quarterback coach. Peyton Manning's quarterback coach his entire life was Peyton Manning. It doesn't matter who this coach was. See, I could have been his quarterback coach while making bread at Subway, and he would have played exactly the same. Exactly. And while, and while we're on the subject of the NFL, let's transition to this week, this morning. Uh, I, we've really, I think this is the first, we've hit like that first iceberg uh, in the NFL season. And it started Tuesday. Last week, the Titans uh, played the Vikings. I came out Tuesday morning that the Viking, uh, that the Titans had multiple positive COVID tests between players, between staffers. Um, they shut down their facility for the week. Vikings did the same. Fortunately, to this point, there's no positive tests on the Vikings. Let's you know, hope that that continues. Knock on wood, of course. Um, but so that resulted in, and this is, um, you know, because to me, the NFL being all about business, it's you have a 3-0 Titans team, 3-0 Steelers team, and they decided to move the game to late October. I don't, yeah, one, of their, one of their bye weeks. I think weeks you said week and, six or something, yeah, or week eight. I think it's, like a, yeah, it's week eight. It's your yeah. bye week, yeah. They both have the same bye week. So that was, whatever, at least they, they, they got the game, the fuck away, whatever, you know. This morning, this very morning, recording on a Saturday, um, news comes across that Cam Newton, uh, Patriots quarterback, tested positive, Corona, and and now it's like now the Patriots are still they're slated to play they were slated to play Kansas City tomorrow, they had not yet left Massachusetts to go to Kansas City, they kept the players where they were they they did another round of testing but and smartly they made the decision that they can't get these guys in an airplane we're going to postpone the game a day or two. So they're going to postpone the instead of just scrapping it and saying we're going to play this six weeks from now, eight weeks from now, whatever. Well, we're going to play Monday or Tuesday, and I think this could very well change in the next twelve to twenty-four hours, where they just do the same thing. But the idea to me that well, the Patriots will just fly a day later, like it's going to be any any more safe. Um, where does the NFL go from here? This is we they made it. They went three weeks. I mean, fairly clean. Week four, we've had one, you know, just great, phenomenal Jets performance, you know. I know it made us proud. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Fly, Jets, yeah. <laughs> but where do they, I, I, I wonder where, where it goes from here, and I wonder where, there's clearly no, there's clearly, there was clearly no plan in place. It's kind of, it's going to be a shotgun thing where they're going to deal with positive tests as they come. And... I, I, I see a scenario where this season goes up in flames, and this is, I think, the very um, kind of the maybe the first tipping point in that. What do you guys think? To me, it, it, it shows once again, like the kind of these arrogance of these institutions or this arrogance that powerful people can get, which is like they didn't seem to have a plan for when this no, happened. There was no plan. Like it's like, oh, you, you didn't you didn't think this would happen. Like you didn't you didn't develop a plan B. Like what's the plan B? Does the schedule does everyone delay a week and then the schedule continues a week? Did everyone get an extra buy? Like what the fuck would that have done? That wouldn't have done anything. But they just didn't think about it. They didn't consider it because they were like, no, it's not going to happen. And it's like at a time in the pandemic when you have a sport where people are literally just breathing at each other's faces on the offensive and defensive line for sixty minutes, you don't have a plan. Like, your plan is, oh, like, what do they do? Oh, the Kansas City patch game. They probably need to postpone that. But where do you put it? You can't put it in their schedule. Do you now have a week 18? Right. You know, it, it's, it, they it's, say, it's. They the say mess. they're going to play it Monday, or I, I think Tuesday night is the preferred destination. But what, what good does that do? Two days. What? Yeah. Yeah. Not only what good does that do. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's two things. It's one, the obvious idiocy is saying, well, instead of quarantining for 14 days like you're supposed to, we'll quarantine for 72 hours and everybody will be fine. And then the second thing is, what does it do to guys to play Tuesday and Sunday? Like, how many of these games do they have where these guys, you know, these teams have played Monday nights and whatever. How much are we going to put our, our players through? And does the NFL Players Association have negotiating rights in this? Is this, a, uh, is this impact bargaining? I don't know. The, the NFL Players Association, I'm sure, isn't going to think about it. This has seemed to happen. The opening plan seemed to happen. Everything with the conditions seemed to have happened. With the NFLPA just not even being a part of it. Like, it just, they didn't seem to have anything other than, I remember one statement saying the NFL thinks they can bend COVID to its will. And then they just agreed with it, whatever the NFL wanted. You know, and, and 
somebody I was reading some guy from CBS Sports who 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 said um, the NFL is treating this like an injury. And Roger Sherman, oh, Pete Prisco, this yeah, fucking Pete, guy, and Roger Sherman from the Ringer, who by the way wrote a great article about Adam Gase that everyone should read. You know, we talk shit on Bill Simmons all the time because we should, but Roger Sherman is is a national treasure. And you know, as Sherman said, I hate it when my best player gets a, a sprained ankle and then all the other players get sprained ankles and then they bring sprained ankles home to their children. So it's exactly the same thing. You know, I mean, it's like, come on. It's a disgrace. It's it's short-sighted. It's, it's, and like, there was no plan for, you know, there's no plan for this. It's like, well, they might play Monday. They might play Tuesday. The whole news cycle this week with the tight, with rescheduling the Titan Steelers game was, well, well, they might play Monday, they might play Tuesday, and eventually that becomes they move into right. week eight, late October. Well, because they're in the same they're in the same division, so they have the same they have the same bye week. Which is I, convenient. I know the, the NFL. Right. I know the Chiefs have a bye week in week ten. I don't know when New England's is. I was trying to check quickly, but I don't think it's week ten. I think it's much earlier. It's not like these guys also like don't plan things for their bye weeks either. Like you're Yeah. I don't know. It's 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 a very well. You were mentioning Eric Ebron Eric, off the air. Eric Ebron sent out this very sort of like hostile text. Uh, I'm sorry, tw- uh, tweet on Friday about how he had plans. It was his their Steelers by week was it was it coincided with his son's birthday, and he said, "I don't see my family during the year. The one week I do see my family, well, that's scrapped. Like I don't get to see my son now." And it's like, what the fuck did I do to deserve this? What did my family do to deserve this? And it's the breadth of of you know, ramifications and consequences for, like, mishandling this by the NFL. It's it, 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 it's an entire, like, podcast unto itself. You know, it's, it, it's just the human effect at every level. The Patriots bye week is week six, so unless they bring it all the way back, and among the dumb things they're going to consider are fantasy and, and, you know, everything. I mean, obviously, we're all in the same fantasy league. The four of us are in the exact same fantasy league. And I have quite Edwards Hilaire, so this matters to me, but not enough so that people should get sick and die over it or just get sick over it. Like, even if the likelihood of them dying is remote, but I don't want them sick over it because this isn't an injury. You can't complain when you blow out a knee and you play football because that happens. You can complain when you get COVID. And with that, we will be back in a minute to talk about the debates and ask Zach a couple of questions on the future of the Senate with the recent COVID hits. In a world where everyone's on and no one's unplugged, where being busy is a badge of honor, where the race from the gym to the office to the carpool and to the kitchen is unrelenting. When your spouse asks, what should we do for dinner? And your boss demands, I need this ASAP every single day. And silence and solitude is only achieved when your phone battery dies. We bring you a new kind of hero. Nothing. Yes, nothing. Just nothing. Nada. No phone, no Netflix, no cooking, no laundry, no Snapchat, no scrolling, no swiping left or right. Nothing is here to save you. Coming to a quiet space near you. Welcome back. So Brandon has had us promising for the last five weeks that we're going to discuss the debate because that's, you know, we missed the date. But, and we are going to discuss the debate <laughs> because everyone, everyone enjoyed that so much. But that seems like it was like seven months ago on a Saturday. And obviously the big story right now is that, you know, the White House decided to host a super spreader event and it spread super. And right now we have currently three Republican senators. We have Ron Johnson. We have Tom Tillis. And we have uh, Mike, Mike Lee. Lee from Utah who have tested positive for coronavirus. Uh, Rick Scott said he did. But then his chief of staff had to say, no, he confuses. He always confuses negative and positive. This is a man who ran a healthcare company in his professional Wasn't career. Wasn't that a Michael Scott joke in the office? Because yeah. it's, 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 it's been pos- memed with Michael Scott. Yeah. It's positive. Media. Oh, it's, no, it's negative. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or as Trump said, it's, posi- it's positive in a negative way. Or it's negative. <laughs> yeah, it's positive in a negative way. But anyway, 
Um, so for those of you who have been paying attention, there's a big vote coming up uh, and conference coming up on the Supreme Court that we're trying to ram through, which was, the, by the way, the cause of the super spreader event. And uh, it was a, a a big gathering at the White House, both indoors and then outdoors. Um, no one was allowed to mar- wear masks. And uh, to the surprise of literally no one who was not in that room or a follower of the people in that room, it was a bad idea. But, you know, Zach, you are the person with a degree in political science here, and I've been confused, and I figured rather than just ask you off the record, I'll ask you on the pod, what exactly does this mean for the Senate moving forward? Because with uh, Amy... Amy Coney Barrett. Amy Amy Coney Barrett. I refuse to call her ACB, and after Amy, (laughs) I refuse to learn her name. Um, Amy Coney Barrett, what does it mean for that? And everything else, because with Murkowski a clear no, they don't have 40, 50 votes anymore. Well, one of the things is that the Senate is right now uh, out of session. They have they have out of safety precautions. They have said the Senate is out until September uh, until sorry October nineteenth. But the hearings for Amy Coney Barrett, uh, per Mitch McConnell's statement about an hour ago, uh, this is Saturday uh, the third, um, was that. These regularly scheduled hearings on the 12th are going to go forward without them having to be in session and that they can be held remotely. And one of the reasons why he is saying they can be held remotely is because the Democrats had agreed to allow for federal appointments, federal judges, to have remote hearings and to have hearings and interviews be done via Zoom rather than in session. Uh, Maisie Hirono, uh, Amy Klobuchar, both were on a Zoom uh, talking about a federal judge, and, and Mitch McConnell is now using this to say, we can do remote hearings, we don't have to be in, in we don't we don't only have to be in session, we don't have to be in person, because the Democrats have already said it's okay. So even without Lee and Tillis... And Johnson. But Lee and Tillis are the only ones on the Judiciary oh, okay. Committee. So even without Lee and Tillis on the Judiciary Committee, they can still have the hearings, and they can still hold them and vote on them. And what they can do is they can delay the vote they can hold the hearings on the 19th, delay the vote until the 20th when the Senate's back, and still allow it to go forward. I mean, all this does, in a normal world and in a normal, when politics is, when the Democrats are in power and, and unwilling to use just the full power of the Senate, there would be delays. This would never happen. The Republicans have decided to go a different route, that this is going to happen. McConnell is, has tried, or Schumer has tried uh, to push for a delay, and McConnell has simply swatted him away as he has every time for the last two years. Uh, and there, these hearings are, are going to happen. They are still going to happen October 12th. Uh, Lindsey Graham will be chairing them. They will be most likely via Zoom, via remote. And unfortunately, like, you know, the Hail Mary that this was, I guess, you know, if you can call it that, um, will probably have a negligible effect on the outcome. All right. So, so that's not the answer I wanted, but. Uh, but it it, it makes i mean obviously we have now had not just four years of experience but 10 years of experience since the the, uh, republicans have taken control of the senate is uh the rules are whatever mcconnell thinks will help him yes and he doesn't give a shit about anything else and the only thing he cares about is judges so It, it, it is a lesson to the democrats if they win the senate in 2020 and biden is president that nobody gives a shit about the rules. Nobody gives a shit about norms. The only people who care about norms and rules are us. Yes, I guess that is true. And on that positive note, good night. Oh, wait, no, we're not done with the show yet. Because um, we still have to go back to one of the highlights of 2020, which was Tuesday's debate. Um, Andrew has watched it twice and read the transcript which woof uh he's he's like, well we, we, you know, we have you know, we have him on a 48 hour mental health watch right it, <laughs> it reminds it reminds me of the gimp in um in, in Pulp Fiction, yeah. who, who sleeps in chains in, in a in, in a uh in a in a chest because like this seems so masochistic and thank you for doing this i watched the debate zach and i then talked about the debate at night and then I said, this is so 
burned into my mind that I don't need to watch it again because it's like a nom flashback. I keep waking up. I felt like Seymour Skinner um, with his nom flashbacks. So we're going to break this down into the three participants. Chris Wallace, Joe Biden, they are 22% of what happened, and then 78% is, is uh, our, our, our dear president. Um, warrior president. Warrior president. Our warrior president. Uh, God, God damn God, it. <laughs> I mean, I think Ivanka's the worst of them because, I mean, obviously, Eric's so stupid. Eric's like the family dog. I think Eric's the smart one. And Donald Jr., who is allegedly and actually coked up beyond words as he he dates his monster girlfriend did you see the thing about what she was doing they, yes they, it was a 40 million dollar lawsuit how many people in the trump administration or the trump campaign have had to have other people pay money for their sexual misadventures it's like all of them and but andrew what did you think of the job Chris Wallace did? Was there anything he could have done in this mess? Within the framework of how these, you know, this isn't around the horn. You know, he's not Tony Reale, Max Kellerman with a, with a mute button, with the ability to kill a mic. What he, what he was dealt with was one participant um, deciding not to adhere to the agreed upon rules. That's what he that's the hand he was dealt. And honestly, say what you want about Chris Wallace, what you, whatever you think about him as an anchor, as a journalist, whatever the fuck. I he got dealt a shitty hand and I I think he I do I think he did a great job? No. Do I think he did a good job? No. Do I think he did the best job anybody would have done in that situation with 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 the questions he came with, with the, with the framework he came with, I kind of think he did. I, I and I had a hard time on the rewatch, like really trying to find real fault with him. Trump is he's un unchained. He's just he's he's it's. I, I've been back and forth on on Chris Wallace and his performance. Uh, and Kyle Lowry actually tweeted out that night uh, tr- from the Toronto Raptors. He said somebody sent Chris Wallace as many bottles of wine he can drink if he drinks. That man drinks. Uh, after this one, put it on my tab. Thank you, Chris, for being an adult. And I thought I saw that tweet, and I thought about it for a bit, and I was kind of like, was he the adult? And, and I was very disappointed in the sense of, like, if you are supposed to be moderate, if you're supposed to be controlling the chaos and chaos breaks out, then you're kind of responsible. But on some hand, like, I went back and I rewatched it again. I'm like, he is trying. It's just, what did, I, I think, like, the expectations for Chris Wallace you know, because he he is who he is, and he's a Fox News guy who send who tends to be reasonable. That the expectations were so high for him that it was it would have been impossible to hit. Like the expectations, he could have only hit that if Donald Trump was not Donald Trump, and if Joe Biden wasn't Joe Biden, and if they were not going to behave that way towards each other. Um, where it's kind of like, I think he did a poor job. I think he did the best he could do. When you say high expectations, are you referring to the fact that? He, he's credentialed by Fox News and Fox uh, of the major media outlets is the the right leaning option. Like when you say high expectations, what are you referring to exactly? That, that like, he was he was going to be like the Republican right voice of reason. Okay, that Chris Wallace, who is who is very much during Trump, been like a a very sane voice on Fox News. Somebody who's not afraid to you know kind of hold Trump accountable the same way he'd hold a Democrat accountable. And that kind of expectation, especially coming from Fox News, is going to artificially raise it because it's like, oh, you're the Republican guy. You're supposed to be above the fray. And it's like, there's nothing he could do. If you see a train wreck coming, it's coming. All right. I'm going to push back on this. One of the reasons I'm going to push back on this is I represent teachers for a living. And when classes get out of control, the teacher is held responsible. Don't let it get out of control. That's on you. The lecture he gave him at the end saying, these are the rules. You agreed upon that rules was an hour too late. Yes. He allowed an hour to go by of just the most horrific behavior. Never mind of a presidential campaign candidate, but a, an adult I have seen. He allowed it to go. 
He allowed it to go on. He allowed it to go on. And then he began pleading with him, saying, Mr. President, you wait on. You're like the next question. He literally said that. Mr. President, you're going to like the next question, so hold on. He had entered an abusive relationship where he is begging his abuser to stop because they'll make him happy. He's a fucking moderator. Don't do that. You know, at some point, he could have said, we are going to stop this debate right now until you can agree, Mr. Trump. Because it, Biden is 10% responsible. Like, there's no both sidesism. It, no. He was 10% responsible. He, he interrupted the way we saw people interrupt all through the Democratic. It was a normal debate. It was a normal debate. Yeah. Whereas Trump never stopped, even in the two minutes. And he begged him to stop. But he didn't stop. He, he, he could have easily said, we are going to take a break. And we will be back in three minutes because he allowed this train wreck. And then it got so far out of control that it, that in the second, in our minute 66 or something, he said, your side agreed to these rules and you're not following the rules your side agreed to, which was a great line. I also thought he posed the questions in some of the most Fox newsy ways possible. Um, He did ask a question about climate change which didn't show up in the original plan. And he did ask that question and I admire him for that. But I thought you can't walk away from that mess and say, well, the person responsible didn't have anything to do with it. Uh, the person who was running it didn't have anything to do with it. Cause you know what? My teachers don't get to do that. No, no, I don't think anyone, no, no one's giving him high praise. Like he, no. he, he's kind of like of after the fact, uh, uh, you know, legacy protection that he's done of saying like, well, this happened and more being more critical after the debate, you know, is probably where, oh, okay, in hindsight. But yeah, I mean, you're no one's saying he did a great job. I don't think anyone's saying he no, did a good and, job. And he supposedly is embarrassed about it. Like you could see be. him, you could see him now trying to mop up his legacy because like, obviously I, I grew up with his father, Mike Wallace from 60 Minutes. I think Chris Wallace is a reasonable journalist at what he does given his employer but that given his employer caveat gives him a lot of praise for choosing who he works for all right our second issue what did you think about how joe biden did overall were you angry were you upset were you disappointed were you understanding i thought he was fine mostly listen and i don't know at this point, as far as the debates are the debates, uh, like they have been for however long, no, I, I think at no point in history has there been, have we got, you know, to this point where we know who both of these guys are. We know both of them, who they are better than we've probably ever known any other two presidential candidates on that stage before. These debates are, are simply just a, a further amplification of who they are and what we already know about them. I got nothing new from Biden. I got nothing. Okay. He, there, there, were no, I, there were no surprises for me. There were, and this is what, in, in, okay, I'll go negative first. And, but, and the negative is also inherently as a 77 year old man. Ideally, and I think we should have considered this. As Democratic voters, um, Trump needs to have he needs to have real pushback, real sort of like vitriol thrown back in his face, real aggression. And a seventy-seven-year-old man, a career politician, you know, it's not the right. It's not. It's not an ideal. You know, they say styles make fights, and like I don't think Biden. Biden is. You could say he's kind of tail. I think coming in, a lot of people thought like Biden was tailor-made to be fodder for Trump in this in this arena, but. I do think he acquitted himself well, despite the circumstances of just being an over-the-hill. He passed his prime. The Democratic Party would have been better served with somebody younger, somebody with a little more fire, a little more, just a little more ammunition. But I thought for the most part, on the positive side, I thought I thought he was, and, I, and people were fearful of, I thought he was lucid. I thought he was, I liked the constant sort of eye rolls. I liked the constant... Um, 
you know, this, does this guy ever shut up? Does this guy, because he sounds like us. Because like I'm saying to myself, does this guy ever shut up? And Joe Biden says, does this guy ever shut up? Like, yeah, right. We know who he is. And I thought for me, the expectation coming in, I didn't have a high expectation. There wasn't a high bar for Biden to clear. For me, as an already decided voter, he did clear that bar, however low it may have been. I thought it was an acceptable performance by and large um, with you know some warts, which I'm sure we'll get into. But well, Zach- I, I want to disagree with one of the things you said. But first, before I get to that, um, you know, I thought, like you said, you put it perfectly. Like, we've known Joe Biden for 40 years. I have the same exact policy differences with Joe Biden after this debate that I had in the primary when he was running the the policy he did he hasn't do done anything to make his policies that I disagreed with more agreeable to me it you know when when Donald Trump says you just lost the left there's there's a level of truth in that there's a level of truth that that there is this expectation that we keep hearing you know Joe Biden will be the most progressive president of the United States and then you know he he goes and says things that are are not indicative of the most progressive president of the United States that doesn't mean I still don't think he is by far the better option it just means i have policy differences with him it just means that i that that the policy disagreements i had with him four months ago still exist today and that's fine they'll exist six months from now they'll exist two years from now it didn't really matter who it was that got up there if it was bernie sanders i would have had policy disagreements with bernie sanders they wouldn't have been the same ones i have with biden but they would have been this they would have been different and i think you're right about one thing and like, less and less or fewer yeah, yeah fewer <laughs> it, it, but i think you're right it's like I thought, you know, when I watched this, I thought Biden exceeded expectations in the sense that Trump and his team lowered the expectations, which in politics is the most insane strategy. In politics, you want to raise expectations, not lower them, so that if somebody doesn't meet them, you look like you want. Trump went out for weeks saying, ah, Biden, Biden's a doddering old fool who can't put sentences together. And then, you know, he gets out there and he's that's not who he is. He's the same Joe Biden he's always been where, you know, yeah, he starts a sentence. Then he kind of goes off into another sentence. Then he comes back around. You know, you look at a speech Joe Biden was given in 1988 when he ran for president. He's doing the exact same shit. Um, uh, But the area I want to I want to push back on a little bit is the the shut up and the like calling him a clown stuff is like, yeah. Did that make me feel good in the moment? Of course. You know, like you said, like, yeah, he's talking the way any of us do. You know what? If any of us ran for president, I wouldn't fucking vote for you guys, myself included. Like, It was a Subway sugar bread. Yeah, it, it tastes good, yeah, but it's well, not good yeah, for you. But it's one of those things where it's like, it felt good in the moment. But at the same time, it's like, you're watching a former vice president telling the current president to shut up and calling him a clown on national television where the world is watching, not just Americans, but the world is watching. And he, there's a hard, it's hard to not after you watch that to just feel embarrassed. I, I wish he hadn't done it, but I thought that he actually showed remarkable restraint. Oh, uh, absolutely. You know, and when you hear he, afterwards. He also dropped an, um, uh, a, a Muslim term. He said, in Salah, in the middle of it, <laughs> which is a, a derisive term for God help me. Yeah. So props to whoever on Joe Biden well, told him to drop that line. Actually, that might actually have been Biden. That might have been Joe Biden. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, the, you know, I mean, I agree I, at some level I didn't. But when you realize when the Trump campaign spokesmen say that one of their goals was to make him stutter. Because he has a stuttering issue. And when he gets upset, he stutters. And it's like, oh, fuck that. You know, fuck them. You know, a clown. And, and he, he, he apologized. He, he corrected himself on the clown comment. That was probably the one I thought was over the line. But again, I mean, we're both sides in it now. I mean, this is one of those things where, you know, you're driving 67 and a guy passes you at 102. And you say, well, you're both speeding. Well, not really. No. Um. I did, and I thought about this after a lot after I talked to Zach the night of it. I understand how Sister Soldier feels. Um, Sister Soldier was the one who uh, she 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 made some comments uh, when Clinton was running, and Clinton she was a rapper. Clinton went after her. Stephanopoulos came in and said, "You know, you, you need to do something to." Build, rebuild your relationship with the black community because you ran after Sister Soldier so hard. And he goes, well, who else are they voting for? And I mean, we talk about Sister. I talk about Sister Soldier moments all the time. As a, as a 
progressive as someone who would have much rather had, say, Jay Inslee on stage, like, even though he was, Inslee was maybe my sixth favorite Democrat, than Biden. But Biden won, and he legitimately won, and he's ahead in the polls. I'd much rather have Biden as a president than have a better candidate lose. And as someone who's lived with Biden my, you know, basically my entire conscious life, you know, the Joe Biden, and this will kind of lead us into Trump, the Joe Biden that I love, the part of Joe Biden I love as, as, a, as a Democrat, as an American, as a man, um, came up when Trump went after his son. When he was talking about Bo, and 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 Brandon, I, uh, I'm going to ask you about this too because you're the veteran in the group. When he he mentioned Bo, and he said, then he said the people left the people left behind were heroes, and Trump said, really, were they? And then Biden said, you know, Trump came in and said, I don't know Bo. Of course, he can't know him because Bo's dead. I know Hunter and then went after Hunter who he lied about him being dishonorably discharged. He was discharged for cocaine use, but he did not get a dishonorable discharge. And when Biden talked about, you know, the, the challenges his son had and he turned to the camera and said, as so many people in your homes have had, and then said, but he's fought those battles and he's winning those battles and I'm proud of my son. And obviously, I'm, I'm choked up now. Um, it, it was his best moment. Yeah, It's it really the best was. moment it, because it's A, 100% who he is as a human being. 100%. Like, you know, I mean, you know, these stories about, you know, the, the kid with the stutter who he brought backstage and tell Biden's people didn't tell that story. His father told that story. And that moment was so touching for me because all I could think is like, if I was out with somebody for a drink, a friend of mine, and he went after mock someone's son who had an addiction issue, I'd punch the guy in the face. Like, that's the worst moment I've ever seen. But, Brandon, as a veteran, when he switched from Bo in that moment, did you have a kind of reaction to that? I think, it, like, it, it, as the debate as a whole, like, that was where Biden showed that he was a better person for veterans and like wasn't afraid to like deal with all, all the things that come with being an American. I mean, drug addiction, I'm, I'm from Grand Island, Nebraska, and we have one of the biggest meth problems in the country. I mean, at least when I was growing up, I think it's been fixed a little bit now, but that's something that like, there's a lot of voters out there that he can, he, he has this ability. Hopefully they're watching to connect with and show that like, he's compassionate and cares about it where Trump just doesn't care. Like Trump doesn't give a shit about veterans. He could say it all he wants, but his actions don't show it. And is and when he discredits any veteran who stands against him, like that is the problem with with what Trump is doing, and and why I don't see why anybody would want to vote for him because almost everything that he stands for, his his actions don't support it. How hard would it be to simply say, and I want to thank your son for I want to thank your son Bo for his service. However. That would have been a class act, and Trump's not a classy right. person. I mean, exactly. and, and it, exactly. it, it was just, and, and, and this kind of leads us into the whole Trump thing, because I thought that was, I mean, Biden had some very, Biden started very weakly, started very weak. I mean, I thought I, at the seven-minute mark, I said, oh, shit, this is this is going to be horrible. And then he got his feet, because well, frankly- it was horrible. Yeah, it had been seven minutes. I had smoked was two a, cigarettes. Right, was there was a first round knockdown. He got but, knocked down on the first. But frankly, yeah. to have someone screaming in your at you every time you try to talk is like not what you prepared for. Like that, nobody prepares a debate for having saying, "Oh, and by in addition, we've got seven Wolverines running around the well, debate stage." Well, I, I've got a tweet from uh, Biden's campaign manager saying, "For the next debate prep, uh, they're going to have seven howler monkeys just screaming <laughs> yeah. at Biden." Uh, for an hour and a half as a way to prep. That's pretty good. But, like, I thought he got his feet under him. I thought that his attacks, you know, talking about the ACA, that the, the Supreme Court, he immediately flipped to the ACA. I thought that was really good. Uh, and did, abortion. And abortion. I thought he said, yes, and abortion. Um, he, you know, I mean, he was being accused of being, a, you know, a Marxist 
So he, he backed away from that, and some of that stuff he went too far, and I thought AOC did a great job of clean up in aisle six on some of that stuff where she came in and said, yes, we don't completely agree. That's why I agreed when he asked me to be part of his team on climate change so that we could talk, talk those things through. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. AOC is always the smartest person in the room. Um, but did you see anything that Trump did that you thought could help him at all with anyone who wasn't already, you know, in, in Jonestown with him? Um, I thought if you like Donald Trump and you liked his style, this debate is right up your alley. Donald Trump in the first Donald Trump in the first fifteen minutes, I was sitting there going, "Oh shit, this is exactly our worst fears." He's going to get up there and he's going to be the 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 king of the three ring circus, right. and he's going to put on a show because that's all debates are is entertainment in, in some level. Um, but if you like Joe, if you like Donald Trump's style. You loved him in this debate. Donald Trump, be, like, that line of Donald Trump to, to Joe Biden being like, yeah, you know, you don't have rallies because people wouldn't show up. Y- you can just see his fans who, the boat parade was all beeping their horns when that light happened, you know. He, Trump was Trump. He played He played the hits. It was, a, it was a Time Life greatest hits compilation of everything you hear from Trump on the, at, at his rallies at, of the last four years, all the same all the same language, all the same lies, all the same bullshit. Examples. You know, when, when, when climate change comes up, and he talks about, you know, what, is he, what do you think about, you know, climate change, Trump. I want crystal clean air. I want, I want the cleanest air, the cleanest water. They want to take your How cows. The f- they want to take your cows. They want to take your, <laughs> they want to take your cows. What, what the fuck are you talking about? What are you saying? Won't anyone what? think for the mascots in Texas? What? <laughs> the, the, the lies about veterans' choice and the lies about inheriting this, you know, this economic catastrophe from 2016. When and all he wants to talk about, you know, the, your, uh, your 401k, uh, your, four, your 401k was on the fucking upswing in 2016, doing great, and okay, now it's doing fine too. What the fuck do you have to do with that? Yeah. I, I think you're exactly right in that he played the hits, but he played the hits in the way that, like, when you watch Springsteen play Born to Run in 2020, you're like, yeah, man, he just don't give a shit much anymore. Like, he yeah. played the hits, but he played, like, the hits. He, he seemed like... Springsteen has some new material. Yeah, like, he seemed like, no. oh, I'm playing the hits, and, uh, you know, well, the hits will get me through. And it's like, you know, one of the things Biden said, you know, and I had this marked down, was he goes, you know, Trump's dog whistles don't work. And this is something I think, you know, it's not a positive for Trump, but it is a positive for Trump. He, is Biden said, oh, Trump's dog whistles don't work in 2020. Really? Do, well, you, do, do we want to put that to a test? Well, I think. Well, <laughs> actually, we are one month from today. We're putting it to a test. Um, but, you know, and, and as Kamala said, it was especially with his, stand, you know, when they talked about the Proud Boys and white supremacists. And he said, you know, stand, stand back, but stand by. You know, she said that was a, that was a dog whistle played through a bullhorn, uh, which is why I would have preferred her up there. But well, Steph Curry had a great tweet to that. He said uh, he responded to that uh, as many NBA players obviously were watching this. They said uh, he tweeted, "Stand back and stand by. No further questions, Your Honor." Yeah, that was Steph Curry's response to that. Steph Curry's really good. He, he's going to be. He'll be in in politics when he's done. He's but, incredibly sharp. Yeah. But but the the thing that just like. The reason I forgive Biden at some level for kind of rounding off the more liberal parts of his platform, which exist, where and we'll see we'll see who's in the camp in the hopefully we'll see who's in his cabinet, but he's way you know in his mind he's play, he's ahead he's playing defense and he's you know in, in prevent mode as in football, but weirdly enough, so is Trump. Trump Trump's down ten and still running the ball. Because he wants to make a point, and it's like, it, it's kind of like when 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 I grew up in Bo Schembeck, where they'd be down twenty two, and he was still running the ball because he believed that that's the way you won, and he didn't care the fact he was down twenty two. Like Trump has to get somebody who doesn't want let, want him to win now to want him to win, and I don't see how the hell this helped him at all. Well, I think the running the football analogy is perfect because one of the things Trump said in the debate was I brought back football. I brought back Big Ten football. People in Ohio were very happy. By the way, 
something we talked about last week, saying that this was the reason yep. he was bringing back football. Andrew, when he said that, when he said, I brought back football, what, what, did, what did you think? I thought about our conversation three days before <laughs> and how we were, you know, ahead of the curve again. Um, he kept, and, and it wasn't only football with, because he kept Ohio. Yep. Was a, was a big theme. Ohio and, and, and Michigan where he, he, seem, he seems to, he wants to take credit for like the automobile industry being bailed out and, and thriving in the Midwest. Which, which, by the way, who was in charge of bringing the automobile industry back? Remind me. Joe Biden. Thank you. That was something he was assigned. And look, Obama's first term, I liked his second term better. His first term is certainly a mixed bag, and, and everything's a mixed bag. But you can't get credit for bringing the automobile industry back when Biden did it. And the fact that Biden just didn't beat his head against the podium until he bled to death, I thought was a positive, because I can't imagine being in his position. And by the way, the whole constantly talking about Ohio thing worked perfectly because the polls out today have Biden down I mean have Biden up five in Ohio Trump is gaining no ground in Ohio whatsoever and if he doesn't win Ohio and he's down five in Florida like there's nothing to talk about Daniel Dresner which um a great Twitter follow he's a, yeah he's a he's a liberal blue check mark but he's, he's he's a great follow on Twitter for politics he has an ongoing thread that's almost it's several years it's almost 2,000 tweets deep and he prefaces every tweet with I'll believe that Trump is growing into the presidency when his staff stops talking about him like a toddler and it's always and he always has a, a caption a, a plug from a New York Times article a post article whatever where it's just quotes regarding Trump where like he just gets handled with kid gloves and this is what got this is why when Biden kind of gets in the dirt and he calls him a clown and he rolls his eyes and uses some sort of like Less than great. It, it's you know what? Call a clown a clown. That, and and that's where and that's where I stand on it. He is a fucking clown. He's a fucking toddler, and it was never on greater, more amplified display than on Tuesday night, where this man, contemptible, juvenile, wretched, um, just and and Tuesday night was a real referendum on that. This is my favorite version of Andrew. I just, <laughs> I love it. Uh, uh, and it, but it's this, this or a fourteen-minute breakdown yeah, of, it, it, of a uh, of somebody who died twelve years ago. Yeah. Um, but it, it it it's I guess you know to to kind of come to here to here at the end because you know there's not what can we said that a bunch of people screaming into the void haven't said already right. is there's going to be a second debate, assumedly. Do you it, guys? Is there? I mean, now that Trump's positive, uh, I don't think I don't think there will be. They'll do it via Zoom. Do you think? Do you think it helps or hurts Biden to have second and third debates, or do you think it helps or hurts Trump to have second and third debates? I think it's neutral. Honestly, no, we, I, we I, know what we know. I don't no, know. no. What what Trump cannot deal with is town halls, and Biden is extraordinary in town halls. That Biden is the best person in town halls I've ever seen with the exception of Bill Clinton. Uh, Bill Clinton was unbelievable in town hall. Oh, yeah, he was trying to sleep with everyone and <laughs> asked him a question. He'd go and he'd put his arm around him and said, I, I feel your pain. <laughs> and, of course, and of course, a woman yeah, would say, in, in wait a second, there's a phone number in my bra strap. <laughs> yeah, but, in, uh, in hindsight, Bill Clinton putting his arm around women is, is less good. But, it but, was, but I, I do think... It's a, just a question. If, you're, if you are the prohibitive favorite in the polls and, those, and, and you stay the prohibitive favorite coming out of the first debate... Do you not, in a sense, have you really have nothing to gain but everything to lose? Well, if you go forward. Typically, I mean, I, I, typically that's the incumbent advantage. Right. Except with this incumbent, he has no it's advantage. Pretty, right. yeah, I, I would, I would say, were I Biden, I would say I will not go because your family refused to wear masks and you endangered me. And I think that's the end of it. You endangered my my granddaughter. You endangered my wife. You endangered me because your children refused to wear masks, even when. The, the debate council, or whatever the fuck it's called, who has less power than the Nevada Boxing Commission, shows up and tells them to t put their masks on, and they refuse. I'd say, no, I, I will not do this because I, do, I worry about my health, and I worry about this country because you can't be president again. I'm glad you brought that up as, as we're finishing because just one quick point on that. 
which is, you know, we, we hear Trump call people the elites, the elites, the elites are coming for you. We hear all of Trump supporters, these elites, these elites are coming for you. And then Trump and his family pulled the Marie Antoinette moment where not only did they not wear masks, everyone else was wearing masks in the, in the audience. The Cleveland Clinic, which is a health clinic that was in charge of this, came over and told his family to wear masks and they waved them away because no, 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 you should wear masks. We don't need to wear masks. What's good for you isn't what's good for us. Let them eat cake. That was the message that Donald yeah. Trump's family sent, which is the exact message well, Marie Antoinette sent before she lost her fucking head. So, in, you know, in the ironies, when you and your, your wife and your child shit in a solid gold toilet, you don't get to talk about the elites. Like, and that's, you know, in... in they made a big thing that they had a toilet made of gold, even though he pays $750 in taxes. So next week, we are going to be back to talk about the Mike Pence-Kamala Harris debate. And here's what's exciting to me, is when Kamala Harris rolls her eyes once at, at Pence, even though Trump's still sick, how many synonyms for the word uppity the mainstream media will be able to come up with because that's going to happen because she is, this is going to be a roasting, but she has to make sure she's nice about it. Cause she's a black woman and God, sometimes this country makes me want to jab nails in my eyes. And on that note, we will see you. don't jab nails in your eyes because you have to be able to find our, our podcast next week on the bill Bradley collective. Thank you for joining us on the Bill Bradley Collective. Please engage us on Facebook at Bill Bradley Collective. And do subscribe on Apple, Spotify, whatever your preferred podcast platform. Thanks again. Thanks again.